Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at AntiochATX.com. Now here's Pastor J.D. Griffin. This morning, I'm fresh back from kids camp. I was at kids camp this week, and uh, I'll be honest with you. There's people who are gifted to do kids camp, and there's people who are not. Okay, I came to find out I'm not gifted to do kids camp. We'd go by these 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 cabins, and the kids would be having so much fun, and, and they'd just be laughing and carrying on, and they're just all happy. And, and my, I had my guys walking in military formation. All right, we, we were called the warriors. Like our cabin, we were the warriors. And I'd be like, warriors, line up! And those little homies would run and salute me. They were calling me Captain J.D. I couldn't handle the fun, man, because fun can be chaotic. Can I get it? Can we be honest right now? Fun at kids camp borders on insanity. All right, so we're having like these session times where they're so powerful, man. It was really amazing to watch our kids. My heart is so full thinking about what's to come in the lives of our kids, watching them at age 6, at age 10, at age 13, encountering Jesus in a powerful way, experiencing him, hearing his voice, praying for each other. I mean, there's nothing like seeing kids do the stuff. It's amazing, right? It's amazing. But you got about, as a communicator, two minutes to make your point. All right, now, that's, uh, now they did not ask me to share uh, because I can't do that, all right? Now, I'm not, I'm not gifted in that way, so if you thought that this was going to be short, you're in for it. We ordered pizza, all right? So don't worry, food is on the way. Now, I'm just playing. Some of you guys are taking me way too serious this morning, all right? Now, it's amazing how chaotic the session is. But then when we broke up in our small groups, how clear the kids were. It blew my mind. It was mind-blowing that I would watch chaos happen. I'm talking about 15 minutes of kids throwing stuff, running around. I mean, the illustrations that these communicators would use are absolutely insane. They had one group of kids running around like they were eagles, another group running around like they were runners, and they just had to run for like half the message back and forth. And then the dude said, all right, now I want you to stop and wait. And then he read the scripture that they who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. And all the kids were like, whoa, this is amazing. We break up in our small group time, and I got like the warriors, you know, and I'm all excited because I've heard, you know, I, I, I struggle with, I, do, I compare. Anybody else compare? Okay, just two of us. Okay, so I listened to the other groups. I listened to what their kids were saying in their small group time. I'm all fired up, man, because I got my kids all in the circle. We're all saluting. Everything's good. Warriors in the house. And, and, and I'm like, boys, what did you learn from that session? You know, my faith is high because I've heard these other kids talking about waiting on the Lord, renewing their strength. And then my son, Tate Griffin, raises his hand, confident, confidently wrong. Have you ever been confidently wrong? Raises his hand. He's like, I learned, don't hit. I'm like, bro, ain't nobody even talking about contact in the service at all. We're talking about waiting on the Lord, renewing our strength. Needless to say, I'm not gifted to do kids camp. 
all right? But I, I, I hung in there, drove in this morning, and I've slept better over the past few days than I've ever slept in my entire life. So I'm feeling fresh and ready to go. Are you ready to go? All right, here we go. We are finishing up our series that we've been calling The Hustle, all right? We've been in a series of talks that we've been calling The Hustle, and we've defined hustle as, as, as something that moves forcibly in a specific direction to take action. And we believe that as followers of Jesus, we are to live on purpose, live on purpose. And you can really kind of sum up the past five weeks with this one phrase that we believe that we were created on purpose for a purpose. And we've used 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 19, as our roadmap over these past days. And it says, though I'm free, I belong to no one, and I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. And let's all read this last sentence together. I have become all things to all people, so that by all means, I, oh, I always forget that word possible. Can we do it again for me? All right, you guys are so amazing. This is for me. This isn't for you. This is for me. Okay, let's read that last sentence again. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. So we've been looking at that sentence and saying, what does that mean? That we would live with the idea, with the ambition, with the dream to see what God is doing inside of us begin to move, go through us, and begin to affect those around us. And last week, we kind of started bridging this this topic of discipleship. And we define discipleship as simply being a relationship that helps you through the impact zones in your life. That discipleship is a relationship that helps you through the impact zones in your life. And we use Matthew 28 to Wow, I'm struggling right now. We use Matthew 28, a, 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 we use Matthew 28, a verse that is known as the Great Commission, the last words of Jesus, as kind of our template as we begin to talk about discipleship. And as Jesus is getting ready to go into heaven uh, and transfer his why, remember we defined Jesus' why, his, his ambition, his motivation out of 1 Timothy 2.4, which says that he wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And now there's this big transition that's happening as he's getting ready to go into heaven and there's this transition of his why becoming our why. And it says in Matthew 28, starting in verse 16, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Does that encourage anybody? That some doubted that looking at Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, he had come back from the dead. He had proven that he was alive. He had eaten fish with them. They'd stuck their hands into the holes in his hands. They had, he had shown them the hole in his side. And then it says that some of them still doubted. Some of them still 
doubted. Jesus, these were his dudes. These were his guys. There was only 11 disciples left. One of them had committed suicide. He had turned in Jesus. He had absolutely gone inside out crazy. He took his own life. And now there's 11 guys left. These 11 guys have been living with Jesus, walking with Jesus, being with Jesus for three years, living life with Jesus, experiencing not just hearing his why, but living his why with him. And it says that some of them still doubted. Some of them still doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I will be with you to the very end of the age. I will be with you to the end of the age. What I want to talk about this morning is the power of a plan. Because I find it interesting that Jesus' disciples still doubted, yet he did not commission only the ones that believed. His 11 disciples that were remaining, he looked at all of them that some were doubting, and he said, now you go and do what we've been doing. What I want us to begin to understand this morning, hopefully, is that it's not just for some of us It's not just for those who feel like we have it all together. It's for all of us to live on purpose for a purpose. And oftentimes, we don't live on purpose for a purpose because we feel like we don't know what to do. We don't know how to do it. We don't know how to start. We are inspired. We get fired up thinking about it. We agree with it. We know that that's what we're supposed to be doing. But then the idea of actually doing it, we're like, I don't even know where to start. At best, I can guess. But at worst, I'm just frozen like a deer in the headlights, not knowing which way to go. Not knowing which way to go. So I want to talk to you about now what? If you're a note taker, I want you to write down the top of your page, now what? What? Because I often think that at the back end of a series that we've been talking about, like the hustle, we are not wondering if God's heart is for us to live on purpose for a purpose. We are convinced that God wants us to live on purpose for a purpose. And we find ourselves asking the question, now what? So how do I actually do this? And and, and what I want us to do is look at what I I would say to be a dramatic tone shift in Paul's language right after that amazing scripture that he wants to be all things to all people so that he might save or win some. Two verses later, there seems to be a massive shift in his tone. I mean, you can't have a more heartfelt vision statement then I want to, to, to live my life in a way that is going to affect everybody. And I want to discipline myself so that I'm just going to be what I need to be to everybody around me. That just feels like an organic passion statement, right? I mean, anybody else love authenticity? Anybody else get excited about somebody that feels like they're just sharing from their heart, right? Just me, right? No, no. You're going to talk back to me, somebody, 
goodness gracious, my I've been in kid land. They talk the whole time, not talking back to the preacher, but this silence is making me nervous. Right? And no, yet we, we all do, right? We love that. We love authenticity. We, we love it. We love it when we feel like somebody is communicating out of their soul. That what they're saying is not something that they've read, but something that they've experienced, right? That authenticity, that realness, that bleeding heart is attractive. It, it draws us in. We're like, yes, that's what I want to be. It's amazing that Paul has this bleeding heart statement, this like unbelievably passionate vision statement, the most authentic thing that he probably wrote, that he wants to just give his life away. He wants to become all things to all people so that he might save some. And then this is what he writes in verse 24. Do you not know that the race, that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. How in the world does Paul go from, I'm going to be all things to all people, to I want to live my life like a disciplined Olympian. Does that not seem funny to anybody else? That Paul has this passionate, heart-bleeding statement. And then right on the back end of that passionate, heart-bleeding statement, he's like, we need a plan. That doesn't make any sense to me. Because you even just say the word discipline, you just throw that word out in a party. Try it. Everybody's dancing, having a good time, you know, whipping their nay-nay. And then you just say, discipline. The whole place, a hush will fall over the crowd. Discipline is a killjoy. No one, no one, a few of you have crazy, weird personalities where you're just like, discipline, yes. Okay? But you're an outlier. Okay? You're, most people are not thinking, man, I just get fired up about discipline. You know what fires me up? Discipline, man. Now, you know what just gets me going? You're sitting in a circle. You're in your life group. Man, let's just go around. What excites your heart? No one's going to say discipline. No one's going to say that. Why? Because it's discipline. No one gets excited about discipline. It almost seems like it's in a war against authenticity. Have you ever had this? It's like to be authentic, you can't be disciplined because then it wouldn't be authentic. Because to be disciplined is to do things that you don't want to do. And in essence, right, that's when discipline becomes discipline. Because you cross this bridge in your passion because you get fired up about working out. Does this happen to anybody else? New Year's comes. You're like, this is the year. You know what I mean? No one has to encourage you to go to the gym for two weeks. You're there. You're the first car in the parking lot. You're fired up. It's authentic. It's real. This is coming from inside. This is what I want to do. And then week three, discipline has to kick in. Or guess what? You will get fatter. The truth is, is that no one wakes up at the Olympic trials. 
No one walks onto the track at the Olympic trials and just be like, wow. <laughs> How did I get here? I was just asleep, chilling. And then I just woke up and I had a letter in the mail being like, you disqualified to run the 400 meters at the Olympic trials. Show up at this date. Here's your clothes. Here's your gold shoes. No. That never happens. No one even thinks that that should happen. No one even thinks that that makes any sense. Because to make it to the Olympic trials, to make it to the Olympic games, is the accumulation of a plan. It's an accumulation of an executed plan. It is passion meeting structure to reach a goal. Passion meeting structure reaches a goal. Passion, apart from structure, is chaos. Structure, apart from passion, is death. But Passion meeting structure means reaching a goal. It's a lot like this. Anybody else like Legos? Man, I love Legos, man. And I love the front of the box. Anybody else love the front of the box of Legos? They take this, they make it look like that's what it's going to be like. You know, I mean, their lightsabers are glowing. His hair is blowing in the proverbial wind. There's fire over in the corner. You know, this dude shooting bullets. Ain't nobody's Lego gun shoots bullets, but his gun shooting bullets. They are fire. I love the front of the Lego box. You know why they make the front of the box like this? Because you have to start being inspired if you actually are going to complete what's inside the box. Because when you open the box of Legos, it does not look like the box. When you open a box of Legos, it looks like this. Okay? That is not this. The great thing about Legos, though, is that Legos does not have an expectation that you would take the pieces and then just look at them with inspiration and create the picture. Because if that was their expectation... Only people with engineering degrees from Texas A&M University would buy Legos. You see what I did there? You see what I did? You know what I mean? Their expectation is not that you would just look at these pieces and intuitively know what to do. No, Legos comes with something that life doesn't, but I wish it did. Instructions. But here's what's great about the instructions in Legos. None of you feel like these are constraining. None of you who have built the Lego set sees the instruction manual as a constraint. 
as something that's going to hinder your authenticity. It's something that's going to rob you of your creativity. No, you see the instructions as your hope. Because you're looking at a pile of pieces and you're looking at the power of the inspiration of the box. And you're like, the only way the pieces turn into the box is if I can follow step one. And then after I follow step one, all I have to do is follow step two. And after I follow step two, all I have to do is follow step three. And we do that over and over and make our way through all of these steps. And at the end of it all, we have built from chaos something really beautiful. Now, my heart this morning is that we would begin to to take that very dramatic, beautiful transition, that step forward from being a people that are just inspired to live on purpose for a purpose to knowing actually what's step one. How do we begin to put these pieces together so that the end goal of seeing the name of Jesus glorified, the hope of God experienced through our lives into others' lives, people seeing the glory of God through you, people experiencing the hope of Jesus in you, living on purpose for a purpose, I believe that it's not complicated. I believe that Jesus gave us a plan. And when we're faithful just to take one step and then take the next step, what has inspired us will then become how we are living in our daily lives. Structure without passion brings transformation. It brings reaching a goal. It brings change. And for us... We have tried to boil down this kind of elusive idea of what is discipleship into a simple definition, right? We defined it last week. I've already said it once. I'm going to say it about 12 more times, and hopefully you remember it. It is a relationship that is helping people get through the impact zones in their lives, the part of their lives that's kicking their butt We believe that you don't have to struggle, you don't have to be stuck, that there's enough of Jesus, there's enough of the power of God, there's enough of the fruit of community that you can make it through the impact zone in your life, through the power of life-on-life discipleship relationships. And just like the disciples, some doubted, but God commissioned all of them. We believe that this isn't just for some of us, this is for all of us. And so if we're all going to do it, it has to be simple enough as that this like this, this, this crazy, crazy construction object can be built by a seven-year-old if they follow step one and follow step two and follow step three. So for us, we've tried to boil down discipleship relationships, relationships that are helping people through the impact zones in their lives of having three simple elements. Everybody say three. Three simple elements. And these three simple elements that are going to help people through the impact zones in their lives to help them live on purpose for a purpose is looking up. Looking 
in and looking out. Looking up, looking in, and looking out. Relationships that are going to help people through the impact zones in their lives have three simple components. A component of looking up, a component of looking in, and a component of looking out. Looking in. Looking in. Jesus was asked in Matthew 22, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength, looking up. We want to be Jesus seekers. That's what we want to be as a community, people that seek Jesus. We believe that our solution to our, our, our needs is not another human. The solution to our needs is, is not financial. The solution to our needs is not somebody giving you the magic word. The solution to our needs is looking up, seeing Jesus, pointing people to Jesus. Matthew 6.33 says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Isn't it beautiful that Jesus is so aware of the human condition? That he understands that in, that humanity is going to struggle with this feeling that they're not going to get what they need. It's like a human condition to feel like you're not going to get what you need. Does anybody want anything in the room? A couple of us are being honest. Okay. It, it, to want is to be alive because there's a, a thing inside of us in our brokenness and our depravity. There's a thing inside of us that longs. For a need to be met, because a need being met brings security. And we are longing to feel secure, to feel safe. This is why you have the richest people in the world feeling like they need a couple more million to feel secure. Because it's not a monetary value that's going to fill that need inside of us. What's going to fill that need inside of us is seeking Jesus. And so when we say that we want a relationship that's going to help people through the impact zones in their lives, not only do we want you to ask the question, God, am I seeking you? But that's what the first question we want you to ask them. What is Jesus saying about this impact zone that you're stuck in? Because oftentimes we're stuck and we're trying to will our way through instead of asking Jesus to help us in the middle of our storm. It's not emotional strength. It's not you becoming tougher. It's looking up. It's seeking first his kingdom, and the rest will be added to you. He will be faithful to meet your needs. Isn't it amazing that Jesus is asleep on a boat in the middle of a storm, and his disciples are thinking that they are about to die? And they wake Jesus up, and he rebukes them, and he says, where is your faith? Because he was with them in the storm. Their fear was not justified because the Savior was in their presence. And he speaks to the storm, commanding the chaos, symbolic of the chaos in our lives, to cease. But he was with them all along. 
He was with them all along. And he was basically making a point, seek me. Don't worry about the wind and the waves. The chaos is going to come and to go, but I am with you. Seek first his kingdom, looking up. Looking in, Psalms 139, it says, this is a prayer that David prayed, a prayer that I often pray myself. It says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, God, and know my heart. You know, it's a powerful prayer to say, God, what do you want to change in my life? It's a powerful prayer. To say, God, what do you want to change in my life? Because I think sometimes we live in these patterns of brokenness and we have created these patterns of brokenness and we begin to disbelieve that that's who we are. I'm just an anxious person. I'm just a fearful person. I just worry. Right? And we we get in these rhythms of just like, this is just me. This is just me. I'm just a worrier. I just got to do, oh, I just got to make things of my own strength. That's who I am. I'm a grinder. I work hard. I don't need nothing from nobody, man. I make my own way, right? And we believe these patterns, and we're like, oh, this is just me. This is who I am. No, 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 because I believe if you prayed this prayer and you say, God, would you search me? Would you know me? Would you know every wicked way around me that God would begin to shine lights on the areas in our lives that needs to shift, needs to change? needs to be transformed. And the beautiful thing is that if we're looking up, if we're being Jesus seekers, this is a natural overflow of being people that seek first his kingdom. Because to be in his presence is to be aware of how much we need his presence. Everything is always going to point back to looking up for us. Everything is going to point back to Jesus for us. If you're in a relationship of any sort that does not point you to Jesus, get out. It's not helpful. It's not good for you. We want to be a community of people that are creating environments where people can experience the power of being Jesus seekers. The freedom that comes with asking him, God, what in my life do you want to change? God, would you search me? And when you know me. And then the beautiful thing is, is that I started off by reading what Jesus said was the greatest commandment. I want to finish that verse off by looking out. And it says, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Be someone who gives what you have been given. You know, I find it fascinating that we remember almost nothing that we hear. It's really encouraging as a communicator that most of you are not going to remember anything that I say. It makes all my preparation and work just feel like it's so powerful, you know, that you're going to walk out of here, and if I did a dang good job, you're going to remember one thing. Out of 35 minutes of talking, you're going to leave with one thought. But you know what's amazing? That you will remember 90% of what you teach. That's not by chance. Because we were created by God on purpose, for a purpose, to see the kingdom of heaven come through our lives to be vessels of his kingdom. Therefore, we get more revelation about who God is as we Tell others about who God is. What we've heard about Jesus becomes more real to us as we begin to share what we know about 
Jesus. When we give what we've been given, even if you feel like it's small, when you give that one thing, that small thing begins to grow. It begins to deepen in you. It begins to establish itself inside of you because what we teach, what we give, what we talk about to others, what we try to demonstrate to others is more powerful than just what we hear. And this simple is because God created you not just to hear something, but to experience something. That's why Jesus came and lived on the earth with dudes for three years and then looked at them and said, now you go do the same. Because he wanted them to reproduce how they lived, not just what they heard. And so the three elements of a relationship that is going to help people through the impact zones in their life is one that looks up, that looks in, and looks out. And we just believe that this is a handrail for us. This is a handrail. This is like step one, step two, step three in a Lego packet to take one step closer to this ambition that we have of being a house, being a community where people are experiencing freedom, experiencing life, where we're living on purpose for a purpose. We don't just want to throw that out there and not give you any tools to actually see it. And we want to give you another tool, right? And I'm, I'm so pumped about this tool. It's called the Antioch Discipleship App. The Antioch Discipleship app. Let's go ahead and throw it up there. You can download it in the app store. And here's why I love the Antioch Discipleship app. You can throw up the next slide. Is that it has three different elements of it. Learn about God, new to faith, and kingdom values. And if we were to click on kingdom values and then click get started, you would see three things. A button that says look up, a button that says look in, and a button that says look out with questions that can help begin conversations. And how I use this handrail, how I use this kind of instructional menu, if you will, I use it as a tool. This isn't the Bible. This isn't the end-all, be-all for discipleship. This is just a tool. And so I'll oftentimes go into a relationship with a couple of guys, and I have read over one of the lessons that I've found on this app. I familiarize myself with the passage of Scripture. I familiarize myself with the questions. And then throughout the conversation, I'm going to use that as a guide. Yeah, there are some times where I've said, hey, guys, let's download this. Let's use this. Let's just read this together. Let's just walk through this together. Absolutely. But it's not just for that. It's also just a resource for you when you're just like, man, I'm gonna, I really want to live on purpose for a purpose. I just don't know how. I don't know how to take that first step. I don't even know what to do in the relationship. Man, my heart is full. I want to give some stuff away, but I don't know what to say. Download the Antioch Discipleship app. We took care of it for you. All right? And again, this is just a tool. It's just like the Lego step-by-step manual. Man, we all get inspired by the thought and the potential of discipleship. We all get inspired about the thought and the potential to live on purpose for a purpose. And all we want to do is just like Lego has done a brilliant job of walking a step-by-step-by-step-by-step through a process that's going to give us a plan that's going to lead to something beautiful. We believe that discipleship, relationships that are living on purpose for a purpose, relationships that are helping people through the impact zones in their lives can be that simple. Amen? Amen? Why don't you stand to your feet? You know, for me, the rubber of this whole idea hit the road when I met a guy named Joel Sanders. Joel Sanders is one of my best friends, and um, 
I actually met him his freshman year at Baylor, my senior year. And my wife and I, Elizabeth, who's still at kids camp right now, um, pray for her. We wanted to start a freshman life group. It was just a life group that was going to be geared to reaching freshman students. And Joel ended up coming to that group with a crew of his friends. And when he walked in, he was barefoot. He had blonde hair to his shoulders and a pink ribbon tied around his hair. And I looked at him and I said, world changer. That's not what I said. I, I was like, who is this dude, man? Like, wow. But he came to life group. And so after that life group, I pulled together him and a few of his friends that he came together. I was like, man, I'd love to get lunch with you guys. Can we get lunch this next week? And they said, yeah, sure. And so we got together and hung out and we just got to build relationship with one another and have a good time. We did that for a couple of weeks because the foundation to any relationship that's going to help people through the impact zone in their life is friendship. And so we're just getting to know each other and having a good time. And and all throughout this, God is stirring Joel's heart. And one of these lunches that we had when all of his other buddies didn't show up, he looks at me and he's like, man, I want to get more out of the Bible. I was like, Joel, cool, man, let's do it, bro. Let's, let's, let's take this relationship to the next level. And so we started meeting together, and we started going through these three questions, and we just started talking about life. We started talking about the impact zones that we were stuck in. We started sharing scriptures with one another that was helping us through the things that we felt stuck in. We, helped, we started pointing each other to Jesus, and through that we became great friends, and God began to do amazing things inside Joel. Towards the end of that year, our life group really grew, and we had a lot of people in the room and Joel ended up being really influential in his fraternity at the end of that year and so he shows up to Life Group with a whole crew of these young Kappa Sigs at Life Group and so we're sitting around, we split up and guys with guys and girls with girls and we're just like, I just said, hey guys if you're interested in learning more about Jesus we'd love to talk to you so we'd love to follow up with you could you just write your name and your number down we're just going to reach out to you and We'd love to have a conversation with you. And man, we passed that sheet around probably, I don't even know how many guys were there, but they filled up the sheet. And I have lunch with Joel the next day, and and Joel looks at me as innocent as can be, and he's like, man, there's so many guys on that list. Who are you going to get to meet with them? And I was like, you. He's like, me? I was like, yeah, dude, you. He's like, well, what am I supposed to do? I'm like, well, what have we been doing? He's like, we've been getting together. We've been asking three questions. We've been talking about look up, look in, and look out. I was like, well, why don't you just do that? I stole a play from Jesus' playbook. I'm like, why don't you just do what we've been doing? He's like, all right, I'll do that. Well, fast forward, Liz and I move to start the Antioch that's in Seattle, Washington, an amazing church. It's doing amazing right now. It's like back in 2005. And so I leave Joel over not just those guys, but also that life group that we had started. I was like, Joel, now you're going to lead this life group that we started. So the fall starts, and my phone rings. I'm up in Seattle, Washington. My phone rings, and it's Joel. And he's like, J.D., we had 100 people at life group. I was like, what? You had 100 people at life group? He was like, yeah, man, we had 100 people at life group. Don't worry. I just keep remembering what you said. Just do what we were doing. I was like, that's right, Jolie. You just keep doing what we've been doing. You know what happens when we live on purpose for a purpose? 
God gives you a boat wake that you couldn't even see. And there's people that I don't even know that Joel reached out to, or maybe the people that Joel reached out to, they reached out to, and now they're loving Jesus, and they're living on purpose for a purpose, and they are in my boat wake. I might not even see him until heaven, but that's why Jesus did what he did. He took 11 guys, they made big boat wakes, and we sit here today. And we're going to go up to them, high five, like, dude, I, James, I didn't even know I was in your stream, bro. It's nice to meet you. Maybe some of you guys are going to be in a stream of a disciple that their name didn't even make it into the book. It's all good. I'm going to try to take the top three, you know, Peter, James, and John. That's where I'm shooting for. That's what stream I'm trying to be in. But the truth is, is that when we live on purpose, for a purpose, we are not just changed. People get changed. And we're here to see a city change. We're not here to play church at Dobie Middle School on Sunday mornings. We're here to see Austin set on fire by the name of Jesus. We're here to see this city transformed. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians to a young church that he started that was in Corinth, a city a lot like Austin, a city that was rapidly growing, a city that had a reputation of being a place that you go to party more than you go to worship writes these words to that church so that they could know what to do in the middle of living radically in a radical place. And so that's what we want to be about. Living on purpose. For a purpose. So that we can be changed. So that other people's lives can be changed. And so then they can then be the light. And they can live on purpose for a purpose. And then they can see their friends changed. And then they're going to become a light. They're going to live on purpose for a purpose. And then they're going to see their friends change. And all of a sudden, one transformed life at a time, this city is turned upside down. Because a small group of people said, I'm going to live on purpose for a purpose. I'm going to do three simple things. And I'm going to help people through the impact zones in their lives. And it's going to bring transformation in me. And it's going to bring transformation through me.